Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth, Diana, Donald Trump, Scott Morrison, Boris Johnston, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Abijah, Omri, Ahab, and Jehoshaphat. Names of leaders are not just names, are they? They're not just names. As I say, each of those names, you may or may not associate a history that comes with that name. But I'm sure that you know that there is a history behind each of those names. And this is the case with the names from these kings in the book of Kings, in the Bible, that each of them has a unique history and a unique place in God's plan that we read about in the book of Kings. Today, what I want to do is to continue looking at the book of Kings, which we started doing last week. And today I want to give a big overview for both books. And uh, the title of today's talk is Dynasties. Last week we were looking at the glory of God as how the book starts. Today we're looking at the dynasties of these kings who are in the books of kings. Uh, We need to remember, of course, that these kings, as we saw last week, are not just ordinary kings. The kings who sit on David's throne are the sons of God. God is their father and they are the anointed kings of Judah. That is, they're the Messiah kings. So they're not just any kings that we're reading about here. The kings in the north are a little bit different, and we'll we'll look at that later on. What I want to do today is I want to look at five big themes that hold the book of 1 and 2 kings together. Five big themes. And then I'll look at a good king and a bad king. And then we're going to look at how Jesus fulfills the book of kings. And the reason I'm doing this in a a big overview way is I'm hoping that you've read the book of Kings several times in your Christian life. You've read the book several times. And what I'm hoping to do today is to give you some of the big themes so that you can understand it better. And uh, this is particularly the case if you read the Bible with your children. If you're reading books of the Bible, uh, the the, the books can be a, a bit bedazzling and bewildering to children if we don't explain what the big themes of the books are. And so that's what I'm going to be helping you today to to look at what these big themes are. So let's look at the first one. The first big theme is the theme of the king Jeroboam. He's a king at the start of the book of Kings, but his name is mentioned all the way through. Why is that the case? Well, it's because as we had read to us, During Solomon's time, Solomon married many women from the nations around him 
And he actually allowed the worship of other gods to enter into Israel, into the people of God. And the result of this was that God's judgment on Solomon was that after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel would be divided between the northern part, which would go under the name of Israel, and the southern kingdom. So the nation of Israel now splits into two kingdoms, Israel in the north with 10 kings, sorry, 10 tribes, and then Judah in the south with two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And it's the son of David who will rule over Judah in the south from Jerusalem. And in the north, it will be a series of other kings, the first of whom is Jeroboam. And so what we, read in, what we heard before was that the prophet goes to Jeroboam and says, Jeroboam, God is going to give you 10 of the tribes of Israel to rule over. But there's a condition. You must follow God's ways. You've got to still remain faithful to God. And if you do that, if you remain faithful, then God will make a, a, king, a, a dynasty for you and your kingdom will last for generations. Now, this may sound like it's straightforward. Jeroboam is given uh, the ten tribes as a kingdom, and he's just to, uh, to continue to worship God. But what we find is, and this is again the theme that goes throughout the book, what that meant for Jeremiah was that the Israelites that he was ruling over had to go down to the southern kingdom to Jerusalem to worship in Jerusalem. And so here are these two kingdoms. There's aminosity between them. And Jeroboam said, no, I don't want my people going down to Judah to worship in Jerusalem. And so he, he appointed, let me just read to you uh, what he did. So 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 37 let just get this here, 137. 1 Kings, sorry, I've got this, I've got the wrong thing here. After, um, sorry, I have mis messed up my referencing there. What, Sol what, Hezekiah, what Jeroboam does is that he appoints his own priests. Instead of Levitical priests, he makes his own priests. He sets up some idols, one idol in the north of his kingdom, one in the south, so his people don't have to go out. And it actually says in the scriptures that he, uh, he oh, it's right here, sorry, it was right in front of me. Jeroboam built shrines on the high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival in Judah. So you know how we have Christmas? He made a parallel Christmas. So his people couldn't go to both. You know how it is when you've got two bookings on, with family appointments? You can't go to two things on the one day? That's what he did. He offered sacrifices on the altar. He, did, uh, he, he set up these sacrifices in, in Bethel in the north and down in the south so that his people didn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. That is, he did not trust... God. He didn't trust that God would keep his kingdom secure if he served God the way God said. It's quite a basic lesson, actually, that Jeroboam had. God said to Jeroboam, trust me, walk in my ways, 
Serve me my way and your kingdom will be secure. But Jeroboam said, I don't trust God that God's way is best. If I do what God says, it won't be for my good. Now, this is actually a lesson that we have as well, isn't it? We've got that lesson. See, will you actually live God's way in this world? We live in a world that is increasingly opposed to the God of the Bible, uh, that, that takes up things on the Lord's Day, you know, puts sport on Sunday, puts shopping on Sunday, does everything at the same time when we used to meet for, around God's Word. Will you trust God? Will you trust God and speak God's word to those around you? Will you trust God and speak up when you need to for God's ways? See, we we need to trust like Rehoboam that even though we may have to go into this other place and it may not look straightforward to us and it may not seem the best way forward, we need to trust God that God's way is best. Now, this sin of Jeroboam in setting up a a rival religion to Jerusalem actually runs all the way through the book of Kings. And you'll often hear it, if you're reading it, you'll often see that uh, this king of Israel continued the sins of Jeroboam. And that's what it's referring to, that the king didn't trust that he could let his people go and worship God in Jerusalem. And they began to provoke, the northern kingdom was provoking God to anger. Now, the second theme I want to look at is that of leadership. In Australia, we like to think of ourselves as fairly independent and we don't have anyone really telling us what to do. We do what we want to do. But I want to say we are influenced by our leaders. And if you think you're not influenced by those around you, I think you're fooling yourself. This is why we vote in blocks. This is why we do things in packs, because we do follow leaders. Leaders are actually important to humans. And the leaders of God's people in the book of Kings were called the shepherds of God's people. And they were meant to lead God's people in God's way, to shepherd them. And they're spoken of as being shepherds. However, the kings of Israel in the north particularly, but all of them, more often than not, turned God's people away from God. They introduced the worship of other gods. And what we see happening here in the book of Kings is now organised apostasy. Organised apostasy. In the book of Judges, the Israelites turned away from God, but they did it individually. One group did it here, one group did it over there. They all did it in different ways. But now we've got kings with organised apostasy. And again, that the leaders in our society have a role like this. The leaders in our society, our prime ministers, our queen, uh, who's meant to be the defender of the faith, can either lead us in godliness or can continue in the ways of the world. And it's sad to say that most of our leaders take the easy option and play to people's desires and don't take a stand for godliness. I only think it's pretty I think it's hard to take a stand for godliness and be voted in, right? So don't get me wrong. I think people like to be told that they're good and that they can do whatever they want. And so that's how the democratic system works. But these kings back... And so as a result, we don't have a lot of godliness being encouraged from our leaders. But these kings back here, they chose 
to introduce other gods for their own purposes. And Christian leaders, we need to remember this, don't we, that uh, if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're leading your family, if you're a leader of a church, that you are a shepherd over God's people and you have a responsibility to bring the truth of God's word to God's people. You have a responsibility to lead God's people in God's way. And so as we read the book of Kings, this is another big theme that you'll see. How do the shepherds of God's people perform? How do they go? The third point I want to look at, the third big theme, are the mothers of the kings, the women of the kingdom. Because the place of women is actually significant and regularly mentioned throughout the whole book of Kings. So, for instance, when King Solomon sits on his throne, he has a throne made for Bathsheba. We often think of Solomon on the throne by himself, and that was a great demonstration, actually very helpful of what Emma did. But we could also have, his, have their mothers beside them because their mothers sat beside them on the throne. The mothers were very influential. Let me read to you from 1 Kings chapter 14, verses Uh, uh, 21 and 22, where we read about Rehoboam, which Emma had raised. Uh, 1 Kings 14, 21. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king of Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Nama. She was an Ammonite. She was an Ammonite. That is, she came from the foreign countries. And, uh, and this was part of the way that the worship of the foreign gods was introduced. So we see how these women are introduced throughout here. Uh, come with me to 2 Kings chapter 15. 2 Kings 15. And we'll read about a different type of mother. So there's Rehoboam's mum who leads Rehoboam to the worship of other gods. But then we read of King Azariah in 2 Kings 15. Let me read to you verses 1 and 2. Uh, In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoyaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You notice how it just goes from his mother to what his character was like. And so I want to say that in the book of Kings, mothers are really important. And it's not just in the book of Kings that mothers are important. It's in every society, mothers are important and absolutely fundamental to the shape of, what, of how the country will go. That's what the book of Kings says. The mothers were the ones very often steering the way the country went. Mothers play a pivotal role in our society. Now, we need to remember this because I don't think in our society we really think about it much. We certainly don't actively promote motherhood to our young young women today. I would say that it's not really promoted or discussed much Uh, compared to careers. Careers are the number one thing. Uh, I'm not saying that that motherhood is despised or anything, but I'm just saying 
In the Bible, motherhood is valued. Motherhood is seen as a great thing, as an influential thing. If you're a mother or a grandmother, I want to encourage you in your ministry of the word. As you speak the word of God to those around you, remember the book of Kings. That what was happening in the book of Kings was very often the result of the mothers of the kings and how they brought those kings up. You know, when you read the book of Proverbs and it will talk about, my son, listen to your mother's teaching. That's what's happening here. Where these godly mothers are instructing their children on how to live. And it made a big difference for the people of God. Think about Timothy in the New Testament. In the, book of, uh, in the books of 1 and t- uh, 2 Timothy, we're told that Timothy learned his faith and became active in gospel ministry through his mother and grandmother. We should thank our mothers. We have extra reason as Christians to thank uh, our mothers on Mother's Day. The, uh, the fourth theme that I want us to look at is the theme of covenants. And there are two big covenants, two big promises that God has made which shape the book of Kings. Now, we see these first covenants in the dynasties themselves. Because when we look at the kingdom of Israel in the north, it has nine different dynasties. It starts off with Jeroboam, but all of his family are killed off. And then a new king comes in, not one of Jeroboam's sons, but a new king comes in. And then there's actually nine of these. If you plot them all out, we might just get lost with those names, but if you plot them out, there's nine separate family trees or nine separate dynasties for the Israelites in the north. But when it comes to Judah, over this 700 odd year period, there's only one dynasty. One dynasty, the sons of David. Now, I want to say that in the Middle East, that's pretty remarkable to have one dynasty lasting that long in such a tumultuous place. Now, why the difference? Why is it that for Israel in the north, there's nine dynasties, but for Judah in the south, with the son of David, there's only one dynasty? Well, it's as we saw last week, God's covenant promise to King David, where he said to David, David, you will... I will be the father of your son. He will be my son. And uh, you will always have a son sitting on the throne. And so as you read through the book of Kings, you find these phrases where it will say, but God did not remove him or God did not destroy all his family because of his promise to King David. And so it was God's faithfulness, God's love to King David that always gave the southern kingdom a son of David. Now, again, see, you might miss this when you read the book. You just might be reading and you'll read about how uh, one, of the, well, one of the queen mothers from another queen, uh, from another king, tried to kill all of the kings of Judah and just one escaped. And you might think, OK, one escaped. But you've got to remember that one escaping is God's faithfulness to his covenant. God allowed that one to escape, that one king to remain so that David would have a son on the throne. And so that covenant helps us to understand why the stories say the things they do. But there's another covenant we need to understand to understand the book of uh, Kings. And that is God's covenant with Abraham. Because when God made his covenant with Abraham a long time before 
the, the kings of Israel, God said to Abraham, I will be the, I will be your God and you will be my people and you will always be my people. And so there is this covenant that God makes with the people of Israel that he will be their God and they will be his people. And so what we find is that even in the 10 northern tribes, even though their king doesn't have a covenant, the people still do have a covenant with God. So the kings come and go, but the people are still the people of God. And so, we, again, we, we just read about this where we'll talk about how God disciplines his people, but he never disciplined them in such a way that they ceased to exist. He never wiped them out of existence. He always, kept, he always remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so both Israel and Judah remained as nations. The final point I want to look at is one of the errors that both the northern tribes, the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms made. And this was the error that they thought they could worship two gods. This was common to both north and south. They thought at various times it's okay to take in the gods around them and to, to still worship Yahweh but to worship Ashtoreth as well. We've actually got some pottery from the period where it's got uh, Yahweh and Ashtoreth, his wife. And we've actually got some of the things that they were doing at the time. We've dug it up. And they thought it was okay to not just worship the one God alone, but to have other gods with him. Now, again, we need to remember that that's not the case. There is only one God... There are true gods and there are false gods. And we mustn't go saying that all religions are true. That's the temptation in today's world, isn't it? They're all true. Other people want to go the other way and say, well, they're all false. But no, the Bible's saying, no, no there, is, there is truth and there's falsehood. And uh, the God of the Bible is, is the true God. Jesus brings this out not so much with gods, but with money. He says you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve God or money. You can't serve both. So we need to take that, um, th that to mind because in the book of Kings, we see these kings trying to serve two masters and it always puts them in a difficult place as it will put us in a difficult place if we try to serve two gods. Well, <clears throat> they're the big themes. What I want to do now is to, to just talk about two particular kings as representative examples. Um, the first of these is a king called Ahab. And let me just um, uh, tell you about Ahab. Ahab was uh, a king who just didn't say, let's worship at, Je at what Jeroboam set up, but he actually went to the countries outside of Israel and married women from there, a particular woman called Jezebel, and brought her back to his kingdom. And Jezebel was zealous for her religion. She was zealous for the Baals and the Asherahs. And she set up extra idolatry in the land of Israel, making them break their covenant with God. But she went even further. What Jezebel did was she began to kill the prophets of God. 
She killed the prophets of God. And so in the book of Kings, we begin to see the blood of the martyrs. We begin to see those who take a stand for God, dying for God. And so Jezebel kills the, kills the true prophets. And this is where we read about Elijah and those stories, Elijah and Elisha, which I hope you're familiar with. Elisha is at this time of great apostasy amongst Israel and of martyrdom amongst God's people. Again, they're, they're provoking God to anger here with their sins. The nation of Israel was provoking God to anger. And this is an important lesson for us. Let me just read to you from Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, in the book of Kings, we actually see the wrath of God come. We see its judgment come on the nation of Israel. But what we, what we see here is that when we persist in sin, we bring God's judgment, both individually and as, as, a, as nations and as a whole race, a human race. You see, God is our maker. God is our judge. And God will hold us accountable for how we live. And the Bible is clear that as we persist in sinfulness, that it brings the wrath of God. Anyway, so that's King Ahab. Now, they're not all bad kings, as Emma brought, uh, showed us here. Uh, some of them were good kings. Kings like Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah and Josiah. These are what we could call reformer kings. Let me just read to you from 2 Kings 18 verses 1 to 5. 2 Kings 18, 1 to 5. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah. Now, Abijah means Yahweh is my father. Uh, she was the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. See, he's very different, isn't he? He's a great king. In fact, as you keep reading through here, what you see he did was he repairs the temple. Um, he actually sends out priests with the law of God, with the written copies of the law of Moses. He sends them out uh, all over the land of Israel to teach God's people. So he brings about a, a teaching ministry. And all of these kings, whether they're Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah or Josiah, they also do something else. They celebrate the Passover, which had been not celebrated. And they provide the sacrifice for the Passover. And so they call people back to remember the Passover sacrifice and they, they, they provide the, the, the sacrifice. So here are the sons of God, the sons of God of the Old Testament, celebrating the, 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 um, the Passover, providing the sacrifice of the Passover. And when they did this, an amazing thing happened. They could turn aside God's anger. 
So God may be coming in anger upon his people. God might be judging the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. But when, the, when these kings repented, celebrated the Passover, they were able to turn aside God's anger. Even though they were so great, ultimately, they, none of them were able to turn aside God's anger permanently. And we had that terrible reading where the Babylonians come and judge God's people and destroy the kingdom of God. They take away the kingdom of God. God removes his kingdom from this world. And God's people are sent into exile. Now, I want us to think, what is it that this book of Kings is demonstrating to us? If we think about the whole book, and again, I'm hoping that you are reading the scriptures regularly yourself, and you've been thinking about this book of Kings and what it means. Well, the book of Kings demonstrates something to us very clearly overall, the big theme. The big theme of the book of Kings is that reformation, the reformation of God's people does not work. Sending along a new king who is going to bring about a reformation and bring them back to Moses, it doesn't work. You don't get better kings than Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah. These were great kings. Yet none of them, with all their reformation that they did, were able to turn aside God's judgment. Now, when we read the other prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, what they say to us is, God's people don't need a reformation. What they say is, God's people need regeneration. God's people need to be changed. We don't need a reformation. We need God's people to be changed. And so in these prophets, we start reading about God sending his spirit. That when God's kingdom comes again, it's not just going to be a reformation. It's not going to be, here's the Old Testament, just go and keep it. It's actually, there's going to be a new covenant. I'm going to give you my spirit this time. I'm going to change your heart. It's going to be the resurrection as God's people, as the resurrection kingdom, where everything is going to be regenerated and made new. That's what the book of Kings shows us, that even with the best kings, you're not going to do it. The best of human effort, the best of human works cannot bring salvation. The best of your works cannot bring salvation. The best works of these kings were not able to bring salvation for God's people. Now, of course, from here, we see how Jesus fulfills this, don't we? Because Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God, saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. The time has come. Uh, in many ways, the history of Israel has not really changed much at all. Herod sits on the throne. And what is Herod doing? Herod's the king of Israel. And what's he doing? He's persecuting God's prophet. He has John the Baptist, the prophet of God, killed. Nothing's really changed, has it, from the book of Kings to what Ahab was doing. Nothing's changed. And here comes Jesus preaching the kingdom. He's taken out in the desert. He's tempted. But he doesn't sin. He's the one king with whom God says, With you I am well pleased. With you I have nothing against. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, like the kings before him, focuses on the 
Passover. He provides the sacrifice for the Passover. But this is not just animals with his sacrifice. Jesus sacrifices his own perfect life. And when he does that, he turns aside God's anger for God's people forever. Jesus is the true Son of God who turns aside the wrath of God. You notice when Jesus is healing people, you can tell he's not on about reformation, is he? When you talk to Jesus, he's saying, no, no, I'm not on about reformation. I've come to give you the spirit. I'm not on about reformation. And, and, and when he's healing people, you know, he just, if someone's blind, he just doesn't give them a set of glasses. That'd sort of be reformation, wouldn't it? Just to improve it a bit. No, no, he regenerates the person's eyes. To the person who can't walk, he doesn't give them a, a scooter. <laughs> to, to help, the, help them go around. No, no, he regenerates the legs. You see, Jesus is the one who regenerates and Jesus can regenerate you. Jesus can make you new. If you come to Jesus, he will give you the Holy Spirit and change your heart. If you want to serve God, Jesus is the one who will change you so that you can live for God Jesus comes baptising with the Holy Spirit. He comes bringing the resurrection age through his own resurrection. And this is the message that we're to bring to the world. That Jesus is not just about improving things and making us reformed and better. He's about changing us. This is what our Lord Jesus has done for us. He's not like one of the kings of the Old Testament, bringing a reformation He's God himself changing us, bringing the resurrection age so that we can live forever in holiness with our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this book of Kings. We pray that we will be attentive to your word and take it to heart. Please help us to listen to the big themes, to, uh, to, to not serve two gods, to, to be godly mothers to know that serving you is the way to life. We thank you for Jesus and the way that he changes us, the way that he brings something completely new that no one else has brought. We pray that we'll hold on to this and live by your spirit and put our hope in the resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.